But we have all seen a lot of suffering in our life. And what I mean by seen is that even those who have experienced the least pain and suffering in the crowd this morning have seen it. I mean, we, if any of you watch the news, we just got a new dose of it yesterday, didn't we? As we saw the earthquake in Nepal um, happen and, you know, we're still hearing updates on the number of people who died. There was, another, there was another tremor this morning. I woke up this morning uh, to another quake alert in that area. Uh, the people that were beginning to pull people out of the rubble experienced another earthquake this morning. Um, tremendous destruction in this, this country of Nepal. And we've seen it, for those of us uh, who are somewhat aware, and I hope that all of us are, but we see it on a regular basis in our world. We are completely aware of suffering, not, on, not just on the, on the massive scale like this earthquake, but on the personal scale. We walk with people who have stories. They have stories that started a long time ago, and some of their stories are today of trial, of suffering, of pain. We cannot avoid it, and yet at times we try to, don't we? For those of you who have counseled or who are psychologists, you're aware of, of a coping mechanism that happens with people that have experienced tremendous trauma that oftentimes they can't even remember the trauma they've experienced. Because I believe God has wired us in such a way that when we've experienced so much pain, there's just so much that we can deal with, and we Something trips and we just can't remember it anymore. It's the mercy of God that sometimes we don't remember the pain that we've experienced. But it's also hard to forget sometimes some of those places of pain. But we try to forget. We try to medicate the pain. We try to medicate it legally. Sometimes we medicate it through our addictions. We try to escape, avoid, forget. We try to move away from pain. But if we don't address pain in our life, if we don't address why pain exists, if we don't address why God or where is God in our pain, and if we don't address what do we do with the pain that we possess, then oftentimes we're going to choose the wrong things to deal with our pain instead of the right things. So it is, it is the right thing for us to talk about this. And believe me, I... I um, don't consider my, myself an expert, but I do consider God an expert. And so with God's grace, in your grace, we will jump back in to this issue of suffering and, in a bigger sense, evil. But last week, in a nutshell, we concluded that as we answer the question, why does God allow suffering, and in, in, in that sense, evil in the world, we, we, we concluded that he allows it because he is a God of love. And for those of you who just had your wires tripped by me even saying that sentence, it doesn't even seem like it goes together. I'm not going to do enough uh, here in this sermon to recap what I preached on last week, but you can, you can find my message online and you can listen to kind of that whole explanation. But I will try to, to do the Cliff Notes version so that we can catch up to where I want to go this morning. C.S. Lewis, an author and a theologian, said this, um, Why would a good God who knows the future allow sin to enter the world? The answer is that love, which is forced, which does not have the opportunity not to love, is really not love at all. True love is the choice to love. 
Likewise, the person who is beaten into submission or manipulated into submission is not really submitted at all. For they have no other choice. For there to be true love and true obedience, there must be the possibility of choosing not to love or not to obey. Because of this freedom of choice, it is also possible for them to choose truly to do it. So, in a nutshell, we talked about Genesis 1 to 3, creation, sin entering the world. And sin entered a perfect world by the choice of Adam and Eve to rebel against the directives of God. And in that rebellion, rebellion is called sin, they made a choice to turn from God. That God even allowed Adam and Eve that choice. Sometimes we, we say, well, God, why don't you take away pain and suffering? To take away pain and suffering would be for him to come back. For there to never be pain and suffering would mean that there would never be a choice. A choice to be in a love, mutual love relationship with God. And God desired that. God desired that in his creation that he would have you and me, and I believe millions at the end of time, of people who join in community with a creating, loving God, in a fellowship that is far sweeter than we ever experience here on earth. The sweetest of love relationships, the sweetest of friendships, will not compare, do not compare, to the relationship we have with God, who loves us beyond what we can imagine. But sin entered the world through Adam and Eve, and judgment and death entered the world through that sin, and as a result, the world is messed up. Humans are messed up. Creation is messed up. That earthquake is a symptom of the fallenness of this created world. And until God comes back, until he says it's finished, there's going to be sin and suffering in our world. And we'll talk about that in a, little, a little bit later. That's his mercy, not his... I don't know. He's not evil. He's not mean. He's filled with love and he has a plan to redeem those lives, all of us who are broken and who need a savior. But sin, our choices, man and woman's choice, brings suffering. And God knew that. He knew from the beginning that the only way to reconcile this problem, the only way to make it right, was to send his son Jesus as a perfect, holy, atoning sacrifice. One who stands in our place. One who takes our punishment and judgment for us. That was the only way to bring us back to God. It says in 2 Samuel 14, 14, God devised a way to bring banished men and women back to himself. And that way was Jesus. 1 Peter three eighteen. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners, that's you and me, to bring you and me safely home to God. He suffered for us. Peter Kreeft, Boston College professor, puts it this way. Theologian, He says, at the time, nobody saw how anything good could ever result from this tragedy. And yet God foresaw that the result would be the opening of heaven to human beings. So the worst tragedy in history brought about the most glorious event in history. And if it happened there, if the ultimate evil can result in the ultimate good, it can happen elsewhere, even in our own individual lives. Here, God lifts the curtain and lets us see it. Let's us see God's love. And so we have the opportunity to escape, to escape the penalty of our rebellion, to escape the curse of our sin, to escape the hope, hopelessness of our banishment, 
we have an opportunity. God allows sin to remain. He allows suffering and pain as a result of that sin and death to remain. He allows rebellion to remain so that we can find him, so that we can know him. Listen to this pastor scripture. Second Peter 3. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire or judgment, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. So he's not slow in bringing judgment. He's not slow on the other end of things, if we don't think about him bringing judgment, he's not slow in removing pain and suffering and death from this world. As we all desire for that to happen, he's not slow in delivering on that promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient. He's patient with you. Not wanting, or with all of us, or with the world, he's patient. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God is holding back. Don't you know that God in heaven hates sin? Don't you know that when he sees into every single wicked den of oppression and pain and suffering, when he sees it, don't you know that he wants to deliver? Don't you know that God is a father who wants to set every single one of those people free? He does. That's his heart. But don't you know that in the same place that he would step in in a moment and call it finished, he restrains himself. He is patient so that people will have an opportunity to choose him as their Savior. Because you see, in this world, this is the only opportunity we have to choose a love relationship with God. He's already done his part. He's already gone on the dance floor and he's already said, I'm in. You want to dance with me? He's already provided an opportunity for us to have a relationship with him. It's on us to decide if we're going to choose. And he could say, you know what? Time's up. And for some of us, that's what happens when people die. Time's up. And I often say, many of us have in our minds that we're going to live till 80 or 90. And yet we know of people that only live until they're 20 or 30. And when that day comes, it says it's appointed once for a man to die, and then comes the judgment. So when we die, judgment comes. But until that moment, while we're alive, and I think, is everybody alive in this room? Until that time, we have an opportunity to respond to Jesus. And he has not come back yet because he loves you and I. And he loves the people out here and throughout the world. And he wants them to come to know you, know him. I remember talking to a Christian bookstore owner after 9-11. I don't know how you were feeling, but the, the, the world was a little bit shaken at that time in our community. And I remember talking to her, and she said, I've never had more business in all of my existence as a Christian bookstore operator because of 9-11. Because all of a sudden, if you remember, I remember as a pastor, there was about two months, it felt like about two months, where anybody you talked to was willing to talk about God. And then after that two-month window, guess what I kept, guess what I heard again? All set things, Pastor. 
got it taken care of. Don't talk to me about God anymore. But for a window, when the world was shaking, when our worlds were shaking, and you know it, when your world is shaking, and when your friends' worlds are shaking, the hardest atheist, the most, the most skeptical agnostic, the person who has so many judgments of God, all of a sudden goes, God, are you really like that God that Sean talks about? C.S. Lewis says it this way, God whispers in our pleasures, but he speaks in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. No doubt pain, as God's megaphone, is a terrible instrument because it may lead to a final and unrepented rebellion. It might lead to somebody choosing not to respond to God. But it gives the only opportunity the bad man can have for amendment. It removes the veil and it, pla- it plants the flag of truth within the fortress of a rebel soul. Pain and suffering gives us an opportunity to remember the fallenness of the world, the fallenness of ourselves, the fallenness of creation that's brought about by sin and unbelief. And God is taking what is bad, and in his patience, he is using it for good to wake us up. And to turn our hearts towards him. And remember, this is painful for the father. He does not delight in his, this patience when it comes to thinking about suffering. But he's willing to wait so that more will choose to receive him. So if you're here this morning, I'll pause here. If you are in this room and you are in a place where maybe through the message or maybe through the connection of the pain and suffering that I'm talking about, the veil has been lifted and the flag of truth has been planted in your rebel soul. Why wait? Why? Why? When God, who loves you, is being patient with you so that you would turn to him. He won't reject you. He won't refuse you. He won't hold up your list of wrongs and say, do something about this before you talk to me. If you, the scripture says, confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, and in in doing that, believe he's your Lord and Savior, it says that you'll be saved. Believe. Surrender. Repent of your sin and turn to God. Coming back means no more opportunity to be saved. And therefore, we live in a world of suffering. I like Joni Erickson Tata's description of this. For those of you who know who Joni is, who don't know who Joni is, in July 30th of 1967, she dove into the Chesapeake Bay after misjudging the shallowness of the water. And she suffered a fracture between her fourth and fifth cervical levels and became a quadriplegic in 1967. And she is still a quadriplegic today. What is that, 40-something years later? Until now, God has not chosen to heal her physically. But during those two years of of her rehabilitation, according to her autobiography, she experienced anger, she experienced depression, she had suicidal thoughts, And she definitely had religious doubts. However, she found Jesus in her pain and in her suffering. 
Since then, she has been an incredible witness to others going through pain and suffering and sickness and disease. And one of the most remarkable things about Joni, part of her witness has been she learned how to paint with her mouth, with holding a, a paintbrush in her t- between her teeth. She paints some of the most beautiful paintings. And her paintings usually tell a story about the redemption and the goodness of God. So when she thinks about suffering and pain, I count her an expert. Amen? I don't count myself an expert. With all the trivial things I've walked through, I've not walked through um, being a quadriplegic for the last 46 years of my life. And this is what she says. She says, does God cause blindness or does he allow it? Does he plan for a person to be born deaf or does he permit it? In short, does God want disease? The key here is how we use the word want. God doesn't want disease to exist in the sense that he enjoys it. He hates disease, just as he hates all other results of sin. Death, guilt, sorrow, for example. But God must want disease to exist in the sense that he wills or chooses for it to exist. For if he didn't, he would wipe it out immediately. God is delaying closing the curtain on suffering until more of the world can have a chance to hear the gospel. For if God erased all disease today, he would also have to erase sin, the general cause of disease, and that would mean the destruction of all people who don't know him. It is God's mercy that delays judgment. Quote from Lamentations 3, though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. For he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to the children of men. Does God ordain, permit, plan, allow? The verb is not so much the important thing as the noun. God. And God is love. God is love. In Joni... I believe, as I believe uh, my friend Pam McElhaney, who had the same exact circumstance happen at age 17, she dove off a cliff, and she, she uh, injured her spine. She did not become a quadriplegic, but she was paralyzed from the waist down. And I, I have seen her prayed over probably a hundred times myself for healing, and I'm sure that she's been prayed for a thousand times, and I can tell you every time that Pam was prayed for, she had faith to be healed. And she experienced the joy of God and the hope of God in that prayer. And every time she didn't get healed, she had the joy of God in her heart, in life. Because she had found the truth that her hope was not in the healing, her hope was in the healer. So that if she got healed, which she prays for and she believes for, and I don't know Joni's story, but I imagine that if we asked Joni today, can I pray for you, pray for, you for healing, she'd take it. But Joni's hope and Pam's hope is not in the healing. Their hope is in the healer so that as long as Joni is a 46-year-long suffering quadriplegic, she sees thousands of people encouraged by the love of God because of the joy of God that's found in her through persevering through this trial. What is one of the reasons that God allows us to suffer so that people that don't know him will come to know Jesus? And that's... Not only in his holding back suffering in its greatest sense, but sometimes the suffering that you and I go through as believers is for others to see Jesus in our life. We don't like to say that because we don't want to be 
those people. I love it that Joni is leading people to the Lord left and right through her, through her witness as a quadriplegic. I don't want to be one, do you? And yet we all have a story. We all have a story of pain. It's not Joni's. It's not Pam's. But it might be Kay's. It might be Kay O'Leary, the first person that I met as a young youth pastor who was not only a beautiful follower of Jesus, but one who suffered with MS. Her daughter was in my youth group. Her husband was one of my youth workers, and I felt it my obligation as a young 22-year-old to visit her because she was sick and to pray for her, to pray for her healing, to pray to be an encouragement to her because of, of the pain and suffering that she was going through. I saw her at the beginning of her illness starting to walk with a limp, with a cane, and I saw her all the way to her funeral. And I walked with her through those days. And when I would visit her in her house when she was now bedridden and in severe pain from the moment she woke up to the minute that she went to sleep at night, if she could sleep, I would visit her once a week or once every couple of weeks or once any, ever, however often I could in my busy schedule, thinking that I was going to come or at least the first couple of times come to bring her encouragement. Well, guess what happened? I'd walk in the door. And before I could say, hello, Kay, she would say, How you doing today, Kay? Oh, Sean, I'm doing so great. I'm doing so what? How are you doing, wonderful, Kay? I'm thinking. You're racked with pain. You're dying. And then she would tell me about the sweet fellowship of Jesus she was experiencing. And how this body that was fading away was about to be exchanged with a body that God was gloriously going to give her. And I can tell you that Kay let me pray for her. And I know her husband and their conversations. I know she was believing for healing. And we had healing services for Kay's body to be restored. But Kay did not get healed. Physically. But she was gloriously healed spiritually. She did not consider, as the scripture said, her momentary and light afflictions to compare to the glory that she was experiencing with Jesus in that bed, but also the one to come in heaven. We've got to wrestle with the fact that God heals and brought the kingdom and that he also abides with and sustains when he doesn't heal. And I don't know why on either side. Therefore, I'm believing for both. Amen? Every time I see Pam McElhaney, I pray for her that she'd get up out of the wheelchair and walk. And you say, well, that's cruel. No, she wants that. She wants to walk. And if she wants to walk, I'm praying. And I'm believing that God can do it because I've seen God restore people to a place of walking. I've seen miracles. I know God can do it. I know God does do it. But I also celebrate and praise God that in the place of her trial, and it's a trial, it's not, a, it's not all joy all the time, that she has a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And his name is Jesus. So you've not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Daddy, Father. 
For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share in his suffering. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. Why do we suffer as believers? We suffer as believers sometimes to reveal God's glory to others, but oftentimes so that we can receive God's glory for ourselves. It's in our place of suffering that Paul said, I want to become like Christ Jesus in his suffering, so also to attain that resurrection with Christ as well. We fellowship with Jesus in a way in our suffering at times that we cannot fellowship with him in any other way. I had some dear friends a few years back who were imprisoned by the Taliban in Afghanistan. It was, a, it was a worldwide story. It was, it was on the news. Uh, president Bush was the president at that time, and there were co- conversations on the television about uh, negotiating and believing for their release. The church was praying for their release. And by God's grace and mercy and the help of some wonderful military personnel that did a night ops operation to rescue them, they were delivered from their captors and set free. And that story doesn't happen all the time, as you know full well in today's news stories. It's a miracle of God's grace. And when they talk about their deliverance, on one end they say, praise God, we'd never want to do that again. Thank you, Jesus, that you were merciful enough to set us free. And then at the same time, they can speak to large crowds with tears coming coming out of their eyes in tenderness in their speech and say, there was something so precious about being in that prison cell. Because in that place of not knowing whether or not we were going to live or not, Jesus met us. The Father in heaven abided with us. And there was such a sweet presence, sometimes I wished I could go back. God wants to move us from a place of our only answer to pain and suffering being deliverance to a place of in. Our place of suffering. God, either heal me or, Lord, abide with me in a place so sweet that the presence of God is worth every ounce of whatever is going on in my life. Can we say that, believers? Can we, can we, can we say that both of those desires can be simultaneous at the same time that we can be believing for the deliverance of Dana and Heather out of the prison cell or the deliverance of Kay out of her sick body or the deliverance of whatever trial you're going on by heaven's power and authority, God's power and authority, believing that he can do all things, he will do all things. We want it to happen. Can we do that and at the same time say, God, in the midst of that trial, you're good. And it's not about that ultimate deliverance that I'm that I am worshiping, it's you that I'm worshiping. And you are my friend that sticks closer than a brother. We have a hope, Romans 8 says, that whether we are delivered here, we will ultimately be delivered. And it says all of creation longs and waits for that day. When we will be reunited with Jesus, we will be given new bodies, and we will live with God forever. We are living, I believe, when Jesus came, he ushered in the kingdom of God. On earth. And he taught us to pray. Your kingdom come and will be done. Here on earth as it is in heaven. He promised us. That we could pray that prayer. And believe for kingdom things to happen. 
for the miracles and the wonders that he performed, he said, greater things you will do than I have done here on earth. He's promised us that we can believe for that and see that. And at the same time, we don't always see that. Because we, we are not to heaven yet. We are in the kingdom now, but not yet. So we taste things of heaven. We have splinters of heaven. We have lightning bolts of heaven. We have breakthroughs of heaven. We have incredible miracles of heaven that happen on earth. And then we have tremendous mysteries that happen at the same time. And we at times feel like Paul when he says we see through a glass dimly. We don't see as clearly as we want, but that day, he goes on to say, we'll see you face to face. And all things will be made known in truth. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we need you. We need you. We need you. We need you. And Lord, there's that scripture in James that is that paradox of what we are talking about, that we would consider it joy when we face trials or testings or suffering or pain. We consider it joy knowing that these trials, these testings of our faith must happen so that they can produce perseverance in our lives, perseverance to walk and journey with you, Jesus. And perseverance, it says, must finish, must complete its work, must complete its work in us so that we will be mature, we will be complete, not lacking anything. We'll be at a place where we can be where Kay was on that de deathbed and be fully filled with joy because she's abiding with you. As Paul said, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Either way, I win. Jesus, would you come in and minister to us in this place? And Lord, even though we can say those words, it's not always easy. And I, I know in my own struggles of trial that I needed that in the back of my mind. But in the front of my mind, I needed comfort. I needed encouragement. I needed a touch. I needed something to happen just to remind me that you were near. God, you know what we need. You said in your word that when tempted, we will not be tempted beyond what we can bear. When we're tempted to unbelieve or to give up or whatever the temptation. But these temptations are come to man and you provide a way in that temptation for us to not only stand up under it, but to escape it.